Sonic State Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk 199. I can't believe it's just one before the uh, 200. In fact, 199 somehow sounds more impressive. Perhaps we should have had the party this week, but anyway, it's a bit late, I suppose, for that. But at least we've got plenty of people here to enjoy the fact that it's 199. Um, we've got a, a lot of live guests uh, and a, a, a whole bunch of people in the chat room. So hello, welcome everybody in the chat room. I hope you're enjoying the live stream feed business that I'm doing here. I've got plenty of cameras on the go because this is a tech rehearsal, effectively. Uh, let me just... Oh, I've just... I've messed it all up now. I've got my... My, my screen is off-centre. There we go. I could just... Switch cameras a couple of times, you know, do all of that stuff just because I can. Anyway, welcome everybody in the chat room. Uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time. Uh, please come next week because next week we're also going to have some live music uh, and uh, and some live guests. But this week, let's get back to this week. Uh, 199, I'm pleased to welcome uh, back uh, PJ Tracy. We haven't heard from him for quite some time. How are you, PJ? Oh, I'm fantastic, and it's really good to be here. Uh, just getting uh, back into the studio at the beginning of this week after taking an entire week and a half off and really just pulled away from technology. For oh, quite a time. I thought your voice sounded different, sort of more relaxed. <laughs> yeah, no email, no computers, nothing. It was fa- it was fantastic. How did you survive? I don't think I could do that. I think I, ne- I, think I need to, <laughs> yeah. but I, I haven't done it. Yeah, so now I'm just playing catch up and yeah, now uh, it's hell. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and, bra- and braving the cold, but no, it's it's good to be it's good to be here and it's it's good to be making music. PJTracyMusic.com for all your PJ Tracy needs. And while we're over in the states, we may well say hello to Rich Hilton. Uh, Rich Hilton, of course, uh, engineer, producer, live player, currently resident at the uh, studio of Mr. Nile Rogers at Le Crib. How are you doing, Rich? Very well, thanks. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, am I sounding good. all right? Because I've decided to EQ and dynamic my voice on the way into the show rather than after the show. So it should all sound a bit more radio. Stay, same mic, same EQ that I use on the final um, post-production, but just, you know, on the way in rather than the way out. Sounds good here, man. Good. I'm glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, you sound great. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit compressed and I'm a bit uh, enhanced. I could show you a full body shot just to give you the example of what that actually does to me, but I don't think I will at the moment, because I am, of course, naked from the waist down, as is my want at this show. No, that's an absolute lie. Anyway, back over this side of the world, and we'll say hello to Gaz Williams, who's uh, he's become a regular. Are you addicted? Uh, I love it. I'm really having a lot of fun when I do this. So um, I had to, uh, I nearly didn't make it today, so I only just about arrived. So uh, it was um, a bit touch and go. So uh, yeah, glad that, to be here. Was that a weather thing? Uh, kind of. I, I've been doing these uh, workshops um, with children over the last few weeks in uh, secondary schools. Um, and my colleague, Alex, who I do them with, uh, was very kind. And he let me go a little bit early so I could get here. And he's had to carry all the equipment, making multiple wow. journeys. So I think we should all all say a big thank you to Alex. That <laughs> is dedication, here. that is. Is he a fan yes. of the show or are you just uh, um, yeah, he, in no, charge? He does. He does. Oh, he does well. listen to the show. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks, Alex. That's, uh, we really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And um, I'm sure you're waiting for the time when you don't have to do that, which I guess school breaks up in a couple of weeks. So it, uh, yeah, anyway. and the project, the project only, it's only lasts a few weeks. So All right, okay. It's really anyway, uh, Rocket Gold Star, Gaz's band, you can find them on MySpace, which I believe has been revamped. I don't know what it looks like, but all I'm hearing is yep. it's terrible. 
the new MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they won't find you on the MySpace, but you know, all, all the more impetus to get your website on the go again, I guess. Yeah, we had a had a gig last night, first gig in a while. Uh, we were supporting Bobby Conn. Do you know Bobby Conn? No, I don't. It's American guy. He's, uh, he's he's really cool. Great band, actually. Really fun. Um, yeah, highly recommended. Oh, brilliant! That's C O double N. So Bobby you Conn. you are you high on the endorphins from a live performance, or just totally knackered from a late night? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both, really. It's uh, it's always great to play. Um, so, uh, and that particular band, I, I play regularly actually, but not, not so much with my band now, but, um, so it was a bit of a rare one for us, but that was cool. That was good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to have you aboard. And, uh, while we're over here, we'll say hello to, uh, of course, another regular, Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com. Hello. How are you, Dave? I'm all right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Have you had a productive week? Uh, very. Good. Very, very, very. I've just finished a massive amount of videos, so oh. all will be revealed at some point, they, sometime. Uh, do they have in any the sort of synthesis kind of mechanic, uh, keyboard kind of flavour by any chance? Pro- probably, yeah. Probably. Oh, we look forward to that. <laughs> very much look forward to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, G4software.com, of course, um, the place to go and um, browse, said video stuff soon perhaps it's bloody g4software.cold today <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> must be well you've got so much equipment in your uh, in your back room that i imagine you're probably okay in terms of temperature are you not do you know i had to bring the computer in because i was actually yesterday it started really misbehaving it was running slow and i did a load of disc checks on it and it was like okay that all looks good so maybe it's just really cold in that outside area bit Oh, so you think it's temperature? So I brought it in, yeah, because I looked at the operating temperatures and it was like 10 to 50, I think. 10 to 50 degrees were the operating temperatures and it, was, it wasn't it was 10 degrees in that little outcome. So it was the grease in the hard drives was uh, just wasn't, wasn't allowing the, the, them to spin at all. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of getting a little bit worried because it was like, oh, hang on a minute, where cold meets warm, then you are going to get moisture and we Ooh. don't want moisture in computers, do we? No. So, yes, it's in. I always find, I don't know if anybody else, whenever you get these changes, extreme changes in temperature, all the equipment starts to go wrong because it's those, you know, the, the, the joints crack and creak and all the connections, kind of the tolerances move a little bit. It always starts to get, get blown up, in my, in my humble opinion anyway. But um, what do I know? But I suppose that could tie us nicely in with our first topic, which was this mixing in the box, uh, which uh, Oliver Chesler at Wire to the Ear wrote. And uh, I just thought it was really interesting because I must admit, when I looked at it, it all, all, all made kind of perfect sense. But I have to say, I don't think I practice any of that stuff. And I thought I should really know about this because the gain structure inside a door is, is when you're coming at it from, say, doing a, a traditional analog console or live mixing, you shouldn't do it the same way, right? Because, I mean, usually you, you PFL or you solo, so you get a good level in and then you set your fader at zero. And it, you know, But that's actually not what should be going on in a door, really from what I understand, because you're likely to be either overloading the bus or overloading some plugins that are on the bus or overloading something going along the ways. Now, Rich, I imagine you probably are a master at this because your work is almost all entirely in the box. Could you, could you clarify? <laughs> is Pro Tools different because it's got more headroom? Well, there's disagreement across the industry as to whose mixers and whose methods provide the most headroom and the least possibility of of uh, train wreck in your master bus. Um, 
in general, and this I learned this before DAWs, beating the heck out of the two bus and dropping down the master fader is not generally a great idea if you want the console to sound as good as it can sound. And I have employed the same principles within DAWs. So if all your, you know, channel faders are up, you know, at minus three and your master fader is down at minus 15, something's wrong. Yeah. And you can pretty much guarantee that it's happening at the bus, you know, prior to the entry to the master fader. Um, so to that extent, yeah. Uh, but whether it's different in Pro Tools or other programs, you know, some people make the case that floating point has more headroom and some people make the case that fixed point has more headroom and their bus is this many, their uh, mixer is this many bits wide instead of that many bits wide at the mix, you know, at the busing stage. And I don't know. I just, I just don't think that beating up the two bus is pretty much ever a good idea. Although I know some people like to do it in analog. I don't do but it the, there the, either. I think the thing that always gets me is like, it's never really a really good idea to uh, record, um, you know, too quietly into digital because then you'd end up normalizing and you just introduce more noise. But then if you record too loud, then your fade is going to be uh, and your fade is at naught, then you're going to be overloading a bus somewhere along the line. It just, it, I, it's that that kind mm-hmm. of got, got me sort of thinking, well, so what, what should I be doing? And there's an interesting uh, article, actually, that uh, PJ, you sent on eMusician, which was, you know, record so you, pe- you don't peak any higher than minus six and then set your fader at sort of, you know, around about zero dB or, or just below. Well, yeah, and, so, if and some of the common right. wisdom out there is even less than that, peaking less than negative than six. I, 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 I don't know. I think you get a good signal to know. I, I'm sorry I cut Rich off. I'm sure he's got... A lot more profound things to say on this. I was just going to say, I think your signal to noise ratio is pretty good if you're peaking, uh, you know, any anywhere above negative twenty there. So, right. It, well, yeah. The, the reason why zero dB full scale is defined as minus eighteen is because zero dB full scale is a VU reading and minus eighteen is a peak reading. And so, what you get is in digital systems, the headroom is such that when you get your peaks to zero, that's it. That's where it ends. After that, it's just smush. It's not going to get any cooler than that. Yeah. In a Neve console and a Studer tape machine, when you go above zero VU and your peaks hit pl- plus six VU, you might actually be exceeding uh, zero dB full scale in digital, you know, in peak level world, but it'll still sound pretty good and it'll do something that some people actually find desirable, whereas in digital it won't. So recording somewhat conservatively and not insisting on getting to minus one at all times when you're uh, recording digitally is probably a prudent thing to do because you want to allow for the unanticipated spikes that you're likely to get and the fact that digital doesn't show any headroom above zero. Right. And also, I suppose the thing is, is if you don't leave any head, say if you recorded, uh, I don't know, not drums, but say some instruments which are more of a uh, continuous gain, and they were all at sort of, you know, minus two, minus one, and then you sum them all together, it's going to be too loud for the, you know, at zero. There's, there's no headroom. That's it. Well, but that's two issues. There's one is the headroom, headroom on input as you're recording, and the other is what happens further down the road when you're pushing that signal down the two bus and into the master fader. And when you combine a whole lot of signals with high-level peaks down the two bus, the thing that shows up at the input to the master fader is beating the crap out of zero, and you're getting distortions there. Right. So it's understanding the difference between zero on old-school metering, which is zero VU, and zero in digital 
DAW metering, which is zero peak, above which there is nothing. Right. Nothing good, nothing that you want. Um, in, I, in the chat room, it says that uh, if you use Pro Tools, which is fixed point, you've got less um, less to play with. I don't know if that's correct. Dave, I mean, being... Like I said, there's a lot of dispute about yeah, it. Yeah. Floating the... or fixed gives you more headroom. None of it sounds good when you beat up, no. <laughs> beat up the peak level. I'm sure it doesn't. PJ, what do you do? I mean, how do you tend to work? Do you just use your ears or do you kind of... Because you must be, you know, we, we all had a life before digital and that kind of knowledge that you bring in, it sort of almost feels counterintuitive. Yeah, and I and to be honest, I've I've only recently come to grips with this problem. I mean, recently being in the last couple of years, and one one thing that I found really interesting was uh, because I had I had uh, not gone out and actually researched this aspect of it, but the 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 third issue that your article brings up is that there is actually uh, a gradient of. Um, I don't know, respectable feasibility of the audio that comes in through cheaper uh, preamplifiers and converters. So if you're using some kind of desktop box, there's a, there's a certain stage at which the, the, the gain is optimal for whatever signal that you're running in through that box higher than that uh, creates a weedy or boxy or kind of wooden, wooden flat sound. And I I've been going through this problem with people that I've been working with um, and, and telling and, and telling them that I found this to be true because they, they tend to run their levels too hot for that problem. Not, not so hot that they clip conservatively right. enough so that, so that we're not getting a clip signal, but so that we're getting kind of a spitty flat you know, a signal coming in through a, a decent, a decent preamplifier, not a, not a good one. In some cases, I've recommended buying, you know, when they can afford to, to buy a better preamplifier, better uh, uh, analog to digital conversion, uh, and that takes care of the problem. Generally speaking, when you tell them to record as you know as conservatively as they can without you know without introducing noise, and uh, other other than that, uh, it seems on the sort of middle of the road. Um, middle of the road preamplifiers that you'll find, say on like a like on a um, uh, what am I thinking of? Dave uses Dave uses this interface. Uh, RME. What are those? RME. Those guys. Yeah. Mm. Um, they're they're preamplifiers. If you if you run them if you run them too hot, you get this kind of spitty flat sound um, from from them. And I I found that to be true on a lot on a lot of uh, audio interfaces that are sort of in that in that price range. You know that are that are all using. Um, it seems to me the same, probably the same, the same, same chipset. Yeah. yeah, the same A to D chipset. Yeah, but I, but I don't know anything about the um, analog components that are that are coupled. Wow, it sounds to, like a can of worms. I mean, uh, um, Gaz, you you recording regularly too? I mean, how do you tend to tackle this? Because presumably you're working in the box a lot of the time too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to only work in the box these days. For, I've tried a bit of summing, but I haven't really found that. I tend to find that that just tends to lose a little bit of detail when I've done that. So, yeah, mixing the box. Um, gosh, this is an issue, you know. I've, uh, I, I, I'm really kind of on the fence with it, really. Um, you know, it, there is this thing, and I'm sure everyone can relate to, that, you know, if we're recording at 24-bit, we've got so much headroom that, you know, we really don't need to run so, you know, we can keep our levels right down sort of minus 20 if, if needs be, you know, and then they, they still clean. Um, but 
when you look at it up on the the waveform drawing and it's just this little piddly little kind of graphic it looks uh, wrong that can't be any good it's no, too small. <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's crazy but that really does influence us you know we want to see the waveform looking nice and fat you know thinking that fat waveform equals fat sound <laughs> um i tend to uh I tend to try and do the thing where I don't clip the master bus, but then at some point in the mix, you know, I keep uh, going over and then I do pull back the master fader. So, uh, don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, and Dave, because you're you you must because you're working with something that generates its own audio. I mean, how does the headroom and all that stuff work within the instrument? You know, with that path. It's interesting. I put, I mean, because for me, the big issue here was uh, the idea of overdriving cheap plugins, you know, and well written plugins can handle a hot signal, but some of the coolest freeware will clip internally even when a warm signal is shot at them. And I put that to one of the guys here, John, and he said, Well, generally speaking, native plugins are going to be using floats, and it's floats in and floats out. Uh, and then you've got powerful float processing, especially with SSE. So really, you can't clip floats unless you really, really want to. And what he was saying is, assuming you've got one a zero dB, then you've got something like over 700 dB of headroom before you reach the limit of the format. <laughs> right, that should be enough. Yeah, I think so. But that, uh, that link that I sent was really quite interesting. I was privy to a couple of uh, producers uh, discussing that. And I'd actually done a mix that was pretty hot. And I'd sent it. In fact, what I'd done is normalised an awful lot of stuff and then reduced it on the channel faders uh, so, so that it wasn't peaking on the master fader. And I sent it to one guy who I think has exceptional ears. And he came back saying, it's just not breathing. It just sounds cluttered. It doesn't work. So I actually went back to the non-normalised stems and kind of remixed it. And they were pretty much 18 below. And he came back saying, Absolutely, sounds magnificent, sounds much better. And then he sent me that link to that um, particular piece. So, so Dave, on that mi- second mix that you sent this guy, did you then, on the master fader, did you process that with uh, with Ozone or something like that to bring the levels up to to close to zero? Or did you leave the mix down at whatever the, whatever they were at when they were summed together? I did two versions, funnily enough, to try and confuse this individual. <laughs> uh, one had a load of mastering plugins on it, and what, and the other one didn't. And actually, it was quite interesting because the one he preferred didn't. Right. Ah, there you go. There you go. Okay. This is a very high-end guy. I won't say who. I can't say who it is, but it's a very high-end guy. And I just thought it was a really fascinating experiment from my point of view, you know, because I'm just like when we do samples and stuff like that, particularly with you know VSM and stuff like that. It's what you're trying to do is get a consistent level across all the notes, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Oh, that's really interesting. But then uh, presumably also that, you know, because I've done it before when I've been using, say, the Oddity, and that can output far more than my fader can handle. Is that because of the flow out? It's just going, yeah, I've got plenty of this. You know, you do yeah. whatever you like with it. Yeah. So where's the good place? Where do I need to bring that down? Where should I bring that level down so that it's quite fine on the, on the fader? Should I bring it of the output of the instrument so that it doesn't blow up the, the channel? Or should I bring it down on the fader so it doesn't blow up the output? Or both? Uh, probably a mixture of both. I mean, it's all about getting gain structures correct, isn't it, really? That's right. apparently, consistent, apparently so. Consistent, 
Yeah, you, you know, but consistently correct, yeah. like across the board. So you're not actually running something extremely hot and then compensating for for elsewhere, you know? Yeah. Well, I always used to kind of uh, chastise Will when I was recording because he just, he always records things really quickly. And then you just kind of go, well, you look at the waveform and there's just nothing. There's barely anything poking up above the noise floor. And it would be like, yeah, okay. I think somewhere between that and too loud is probably better. But uh, it's an interesting subject, but one that I'd never really kind of thought, uh, didn't really know about, which is kind of a bit terrible, really. But I might try and, and work on some ga- some decent gain stretch because, of course, you know, much like um, we kind of grew to be uh, addicted to the sound of tape saturation, maybe the sound of bus distortion and, and bit, you know, invisible distortion in the door has also become part of a sound that we like, possibly. No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But I'll tell you what, since... since uh, since uh, I personally got clued into this, you know, this subject a little while ago, it, it took about it took about forty eight hours to get my ears to start hearing it everywhere, to to you know to hear all over the internet when you start listening to recordings, and you recognize that that's that's the issue right there. It's improper gain staging inside the DAW. People using virtual instruments and things like that, and just leaving them nominal on you know on on the bus, stacking things up and then it's clipping at the master fader they're slapping some limiter across the master fader and it's and it's still it's still uh, causing problems pre-fader guilty milad on some occasions not every time but sometimes when you're kind of in the mid that's the that's the i mean that's one of the things that it's very easy to do both in and perhaps more in the digital world because you're kind of you're throwing all of this stuff down and you sort of mix as you go a lot of the time at least but then when you get to a certain point you think oh the gain structure is all screwed and you pull all the faders down and think well how do I get that back again? The vibe's gone. You know, it's the same. It's that moment, isn't it? It's like yeah. I, I remember doing this um, when we were when I was in the studio with, uh, I think it was Spike Stent actually, uh, who's you know a, a, a very well known pop mix guy, and he just on, on one occasion just said, "Look, I think I need to start again." And just pull all the faders down and said, so, "Right, let's start again." And you're just thinking, "Is that okay? Isn't that going to take like hours to get anything? You know, get the magic back?" And with him, probably not. No, well, because he's, you know, I, I, the way he works, it just, you know, it's always there, I suppose. But it's very interesting, and I think perhaps it's something well, that, um, sorry, was that Rich? Yeah, going back to your oddity example, you make sure that you're not clipping the output of the plugin. Yeah. You make sure you're not clipping the preamp at the top of the fader that controls your mic line level in. You make sure you're not clipping the output of the fader going to the two bus. You know, it, it's, you just, take it one step at a yeah. time. You know, you yeah. start from the source and you move your way towards the destination and you get your level, you know, your gain staging right and you record the thing. <laughs> and then when you're playing it back, you make sure it's that that signal, as hot as you've recorded it, whatever it is, isn't beating the crap out of your two bus. I think perhaps the part of this issue is sometimes it's hard to see where the distortion is occurring because there's no... It's not necessarily as clear as it can be. You don't have the peak lights, you know. Do you see what I mean? Because you're looking at yeah. metering rather than, I don't know. It yeah, just seems less that's easy. True, Nick. You know, when, you, when you're using, uh, one thing to add about plugins is that there's a lot of plugins that don't have any proper meters in them. So yeah. uh, just play it safe because you're not adding, you're, hopefully you're not adding any noise using the plugin. It's, you know, it's a signal being generated inside the computer. So you don't have to, you don't have to worry so much about that at all right. really okay i like that so analogy like, on that on that website 
that I, that on that link that I sent, when you take a steak and cook it until it's burnt, it is burnt. If you put ice cubes all over it, it doesn't make it more rare. <laughs> it just <laughs> makes it, it a cold, wet, burnt steak. No matter what you do, <laughs> yeah. it's still burnt. Yeah, you can't EQ that off. off the, the You have to scrape it off, don't you? You have to scrape it off and restore it, yeah. That's a very good point. You have to use that new isotope program. You need to go spend $1,500 on that isotope program, and that'll, that'll <laughs> scrape the barnacles off your audio. They do, they do claim that. Yep. Brilliant. Barnacle scraping. <laughs> <laughs> Must be an algorithm in there. Anyway, well, that's a fascinating subject and one that I'm sure we could, we, we could wax on for a while because there's so many different points of view on it. But I think it's probably time to just say hello and uh, introduce our sponsors for, the, for today and say thank you very much to yamaha.co.uk. Um, in fact, um, as, as the same as last week, uh, we're, we're still talking about the Yamaha HS50M and HS80M active monitors. Now, these are designed to be reference monitors, a bit like the Yamaha NS10Ms, which are the sort of legendary passive ones. I've got a pair in the other room. Um, but these are, these are active, and they work in the same way. Um, they're actually kind of designed not to flatter your sound. They make you work hard to get a decent mix. But as the old adage goes, if your mix sounds good on these, it will be good anywhere. There are two models, 5-inch driver, 70 watts of the HS50, 8-inch driver, 120 watts uh, that uh, and they've got white cones so they do look a bit like ns10s as well uh, and what yamaha encourage you to do is to um, head down to a dealer near you and check it out and um, they know it's impossible to appreciate studio monitors through a podcast as how could i display them but um take your your preferred sound source and head down to one of the Yamaha Pulse stores in the UK, which you can find at yamahadownload.com. Click the Pulse stores tab and any of the, I guess, the larger uh, Yamaha dealers in the US and, and check them out. Uh, the HS50M uh, retails at 149 UK pounds and the HS80M is 249. I think that is each, actually, but I'd have to check that out. I, I should probably find that out. And while you're at it, go and check out yamahadownload.com anyway, because uh, there's a great article about the motif uh, on uh, use on the X Factor and all these other things. Going on. Incidentally, the sound of this show is also brought to you by a Yamaha digital mixer, which has got nothing to do with the sponsorship, but I just thought I'd mention it. That's what I'm using now. Um, but anyway, thank you very much to Yamaha uh, for their continued sponsorship of the show, yamahadownload.com. Well, speaking of digital mixers, actually, um, did anyone see the new Behringer digital mixer? Uh, I know this may not be massive news, but to be honest... This is one of the biggest stories we've had on Sonic for ages, and I don't know particularly, you know, it wasn't anything particularly uh, scoopy about it, but it's, uh, they've announced a new, something called the X32, which is going to be about two and a half grand, uh, available mid-2011, 32 channels with inserts, 16 buses, 6 sends, 8 stereo effects returns, 6 matrix mixers with uh, inserts, 6 mute groups, 8 DCA groups. Sounds like there's quite a lot of sort of live potential here, <coughs> which seems to me where it may be aimed at. but. Um, this could be, it seems like digital mixers have been pretty much, uh, well, pretty, mu pretty much the, the, the only people who've made them up to now have been Yamaha, and they've kind of called to the market for years, like sort of 10, 10 years plus. But obviously with the Personas and now uh, Behringer, perhaps uh, this might be something to consider. Does a digital mixer have any um, place in your life, Gaz, or, or would, you know, would you, what would you use it for? Um, hmm, if anything. I mean, I've, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I've 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 used uh, the Yamaha, the, just the small one, the uh, 01... 01V. The 01V, yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, it's quite, I mean, it's quite nice, but everything does seem just a few button presses away, and I don't know. I don't know. Not, 
yeah, no, you have to, I mean, you do have to get get to know them. I, mean, I think the thing is, the thing is for them. Uh, well, I think basically what these are what these are really useful for is live, particularly yeah. if you're looking for repeatability and you know if you've got to take something on the road, you want your own front of house thing, or you're sending a mix to f- out front. Uh, that seems to yeah. be kind of where they're aiming. At. It would be very interesting to see whether Behringer can kind of nail that because I, I think uh, there's a few episodes back I was talking about being sort of suddenly thrown into a situation where I was mixing live and they said, "Yeah, come and mix it." And I, I turned up and it was a Yamaha LM32, which I don't know. Mm-hmm. I managed to get my head around it, but it, it wasn't as immediately intuitive. And I'm guessing, you know, for something like this, maybe two and a half grand, maybe they'll they'll nail it because I know Personas have uh, a different way of working. They work with the the uh, super channel, which kind of works linearly across the desk. So you select a channel and then all the controls are there. So I'm wondering whether or not they'll have something similar or whether they'll do their own thing. But it's it's an interesting, it's not a crowded area of uh, of, of equipment, I would say. What about you, PJ? Was that, I mean, when you're doing music for picture, I mean, if there's any kind of analog aspect to your work, Total Recall is kind of, is a must, is it not? Uh, yeah, but in in my case, there's there's usually not. That's usually not the case. I mean, if there if there's anything analog, it's it's done at the recording stage. Right. So you 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 just you just uh, make sure you record everything f- with the right level of granularity for re- for recall, right? Yes, sir. Ah. So, do you have an analog board? No, not at all. So, what do you? How do you set up your monitor? You just kind of straight out of your your sound card and into into actives, or have you got some kind of uh, I am doing that straight out, straight out of the sound card into actives. Yep. Ah, right. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. I've got a pair of Genelex. A good man. A sub. What? What? Mm-hmm. What? What Genelex are you using? Out of interest. Um, I use both the uh, the. I use both the. Um, right. Right now, actually, I, I lean towards my ten twenty nine A's with the ten ninety one sub. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I got the ten twenty nine A's as well. I love them. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, them, love, I them, love them. In fact, I found something quite interesting. I've just reviewed the Avid Mbox 3, and uh, up until now, I've been using uh, my Machionix uh, Firewire Desk to, to monitor through as my sort of sound card. And I plugged the Avid in, and I have to say, it just sort of went ping. Everything went, wow, that sounds better. Um, so, yeah, watch out when you're using – make sure you wow. use the right sound card, <laughs> the right converters and all of that because it does – I mean, it wasn't like day and night kind of thing, but it was like, hey, that sounds better than it did earlier this morning when I was listening to the same thing but through this path. So uh, wow. it, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, a, a good good little box, actually, I have to say. I'm quite, I was quite impressed, and the, the mic apps sound good too. Which Avid box is that? It's just the Mbox 3. It's the middle range, not the Mini and not the Pro. It's the one in the middle. It's got uh, two analog ins – and an SP diff, and you've got front and back analogs, but you can record. You, you've got four simultaneous outputs, but two two are SP diff. Okay, but it's okay. yeah, it's kind of it's quite nice actually. I mean, not not um, not terribly cheap, um, but you know, I think as I said in review, you're paying for you know in this case you're paying for what you get for because uh, anyway, anyway, I'm digressing. Dave Spears, you do you do you still have an analog board, or you would would something that could recall be useful to you? Uh... I I do have an analog board. I've got an old Mackie that's actually been taken out of the chain now. And in fact, we went and bought a couple of little rack-mounted mixers to put all the keyboards through, which were Behringer's, and they are horrible. They are utterly horrible. <laughs> so I'm kind of intrigued by this. I hope um, things have improved since these little rack-mounted mixers come on. I mean, it's weird because I can't seem to pan anything with these mixers. It's, it's kind of drives me a bit nuts. It seems to be all left-hand heavy. 
what I thought was interesting about this was no confusing menus. And there was another little thing that I thought was quite neat, actually, which was the little WAV recorder. Oh, uncompressed. Right. Oh, onboard recorder for uncompressed WAV files on a USB flash drive. I thought that would be neat for live use. Mm, very good. Seems like a... No, I didn't see that. No confusing menus. There's a one bullet point. That's a hell of a... I think also at the bottom it says uh, uh, specifications subject to change, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, no confusing oh, yeah. menus would be quite interesting. I know, Rich, I'm guessing you, you're all in the box, aren't you? So, And I, I imagine Behringer is not on your radar. But certainly from a live point of view, for a Total Recall, because, you know, I guess your, your kids are probably doing stuff where they might be playing uh, at, at places where, you know, there's quite a throughput of music, musicians and you know, they're starting to use this kind of digital live console stuff. Yeah, I could imagine people who do live basics on a regular basis wanting a console with a big bunch of inputs on it. I think the fact that they're providing moving faders at this price point, motorized faders, is a pretty significant uh, thing. I don't know that. Not, does it say that anywhere? That was the one thing I wasn't yeah. clear about. It was sort of. Yeah, it does. Mm, oh, right. Okay. Oh, yes, it does. 25, 25 low, noise. low noise, 100 millimeter motorized faders. Yeah. Mm. Wow. says. Um, and that's a pretty significant thing. And uh, remote editor software to control via USB or Ethernet, that'll, that could be interesting. 48-channel digital snake, I just noticed as well. Mm, so it's got some sort of and, networking in there as well. And it connects uh, directly to some personal monitoring system of theirs. So in other words, for somebody who's well-invested in Behringer stuff or who has a lot of live basics to do and wants a moving fader mixer for not a whole heck of a lot of money, this might be kind of cool. But like with Dave's expressed situation, I approach purchasing Behringer audio products with <laughs> huge amount of trepidation. Well, they're not, yeah. they're not designed for you, Rich. I think it would be fair to say. I mean, they're designed I, for, you know, entry level and, and, and just useful things that don't require high quality, maybe. Yes, I but have a, to say, a bag, a bag full of feces is still a bag full of feces. <laughs> 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 oh, well, there goes the Behringer sponsorship right there. <laughs> well, well, no, I don't think that's true. I, I think Behringer make quite a lot of stuff that is actually really useful. It just depends on what you want it for. I mean, you know, they make, it's low price. It's a low price point, sure, but it's a, whole, a hell of a lot of functionality in there for the money. And often, when I've reviewed stuff of theirs, it's like, okay, you know, it's not the best. Um, it's got, but it's almost free. You know, that's and that's the kind of kicker, really. I think, and that's that's a fair enough point. They do a lot of uh, portable PA's and all sorts of other stuff that is actually a lot of people use. I think for the, maybe the pro end studio, it's really not, you know, what the doctor ordered, but I mean, to be honest, we used, um, the Behringer ADA 8000s, which are the, uh, ADA A to D, D to A's for ages in the touring rig. And they were, you know, absolutely fine for just getting digital stuff out into the outside world. Sorry. In their defense as well. Um, you know, Lee Groves produced about sort of four or five albums using that Behringer Mackie well, the Euro Dust, right. thing. Yeah, and it and they sounded great. Those albums were great. <laughs> Tough. We know what you get with Behringer. You know, it's not the top of the range, um, but you get you're paying bottom dollar. You know, the things that we had in the rack, they've been around the world like three times over five years, and they haven't fallen to bits. You know that, and that's kind of quite a significant. That that's about the highest. Well, not the highest level, but you know that's some fairly robust a treatment they get in, uh, you know, on and off the the back of the wagon and what have you. So, you know, well, I, saw, I saw the BBC uh, for Radio One live broadcast. Uh, they were using ADA eight thousands. I was really surprised to see them there. 
and uh, in a remote setup. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's not all bad at all. But uh, the people are very, very interested in this. I mean, this is, you know, because looking at it, it didn't seem, it seems like quite a niche to me. But, you know, the news story got thousands of hits. Really surprised. Well, and if you've got Midas expertise going into this, then uh, it stands well, a, a chance. Th- th- that it? is a point. They do own Midas, oh. don't they? Oh. Yes. Now, that is interesting. I hadn't mm. thought of that. You're very, yeah. very good point. Because Midas also now have started to, you know, since, I, I don't know if it's since or during the Behringer acquisition transition, they're, they're doing a lot more digital recall consoles as well. So maybe they're merging, you know, R&D and stuff. So, yeah, maybe that, that's going to be the best of both worlds. But, yeah, I mean, they, to keep the price down, of course, they're going to be using low-grade low components with a higher failure rate. I mean, that's just pure economics, isn't it? But they uh, – but anyway. Um, so uh, let's get on to the – this is now I can test the, uh, the second part of my routing on the mixer, which is uh, I've got something to play. And this was, this was actually really interesting, I thought. I, I was kind of blown away by how different this sounds. So tell, just make sure that this is working all right. Can you hear this, guys? <laughs> Right, I'll stop that there. Uh, that was the sound of the Rivera um, 15 speaker comparison. Now, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I say now, I'm not really a guitar buff. <coughs> but this was uh, something that Rivera did. They took a look, uh, most of those speakers that we heard there were um, Celestians, variants on the Celestian range. And they were, uh, I think, a 12 inch that they were driving off one of their Rivera amps. It was a Rivera Venus 6 with a Gibson Les Paul. And to be honest, I was not expecting to hear such a massive radical difference between that and, you know, the next speaker along. But it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Now, Gaz, I know you play uh, something with strings, is that right? Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, did bass, you, but I play guitar too. Did, um, did, I, it just it, it blew me away that there was such a massive tonal variation on these speakers, even from the same manufacturer. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because... Uh, uh, there's a whole host of uh, parts in the chain though isn't there with the guitar you know the amps everything sounds different so it's like they were just swapping out the speaker cones that's all they were doing weren't they swapping the speaker no no, no yeah sorry yeah I appreciate it um, but it, yeah it just goes to show there's just a myriad of sound options out there I mean I was listening to that I thought it was interesting and uh in the most, I couldn't decide which one I liked the best. There was certainly a few that I really didn't like, but um, a lot of them I was thinking, okay, that's good, but that's good as well. That's good. And I find it sometimes quite hard when, you, when you're faced with these choices. Uh, yeah, too many at actually. once, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, because, you know, I, when I, I play around with kind of guitar rig for, I, I, you know, and, you know, you play around with the different amp models there and you play around with the different speaker configurations although albeit just the modeled one and uh you think okay yeah that's that that sounds a little bit different that sounds a little bit different that's uh so you know i do get racked by um indecision <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't help that then i'm guessing no 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 i know and i'm kind of thinking yeah you know i like that. so yeah so i don't know if people will hear that and just hear the one speaker and go 
that's the one. I, I certainly didn't. I thought, you know, I certainly knew there was a few that, that, that definitely weren't the one. But um, I don't know if anyone else here has... Uh, would have heard it and just but i mean bearing in mind what we were hearing was youtube as well it was the tonal difference was astonishing rich did you get a chance to listen to this not before you just played it no but based on what you just played i could work with almost any of those right well that i mean they were i I think what do we have it was uh the first one was a celestian vintage 30 a g12 h30 a k1 i mean i don't know what any of these are because i'm not really um particularly up on there so greenbacks there were a few that weren't um celestian as well there were some eminence but uh mm-hmm. it, it was just i i don't know i mean the, it, 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 what got me was you know if you're there recording somebody um then you're kind of going we'll try this out the, this speaker would sound good with that sound i mean i just the, the depth of the the, it, the nuance and the depth of knowledge that you have to kind of know the tones of those speakers would just is totally beyond me what i it's the the tone begins at the hands yeah <laughs> it progresses through the strings and the pickup to the down the wire to an amp head which is set up a certain way eventually gets to a speaker which has some kind of characteristic to it by that time a dozen adjustments have already been made in the players playing and in the various points in the chain along the way to make it sound like whatever is happening at the speaker, at which point you're going to choose from one of about half a dozen microphones, or maybe you're going to stick a half a dozen microphones in front of the thing, and you're going to go in the control room and see what you got and start twisting the cues until you get what you want. Yeah, well, that's no? true. Yeah, I guess no? so. I guess so. <laughs> All right. I mean, and ultimately, it's what's in the guy's hands that's going to make it or break it, not yeah. the speaker, not the amp head. I suppose the thing is that it really did throw up for me is like, wow, if that, you know, that's with guitar speakers, what the hell's going on with studio monitors? You know, I mean, that's kind of like, well, yeah. Christ. But we know what that, we know they all sound different. Mm. And you adapt to what this one sounds like so that you can apply your own particular little voodoo to the to the input source am i yeah, being yeah, a little yeah, too yeah, of course dry? of course am i being a little too cut and dry here maybe no I don't well, know, well maybe but... so i mean i understand what you're saying <laughs> i suppose my point was is i was just so surprised at the massive tonal variation because you know i was expecting them to be a bit different sure but some I, it was like whoa i mean some of them sound radically different i mean really different and that's what really got me uh, pj uh, uh, did you get a chance to check this out i did i did um and they did. They sounded radically different. And I, I think what Rich just brought up in the last when you were talking about studio monitors applies to guitar players. So everybody responds to the tonal variations in studio monitors differently and they have theirs and they swear by them or, or they have several pairs that they, that they use for different things or for different perspectives. And uh, the same is true of, of all the guitar players that I know. I'm, I'm a hack guitar player. I can play a little bit and I don't uh, – I, I, I don't – know in depth all speakers and all amplifiers but what is really fun is when you're in on a session where you've got a guitar player and there is a wall of amplifiers in that studio available to you to watch uh different players respond to different amplifiers with four different songs or different recordings is great because if they find something that they haven't heard before and it inspires them to a greater performance then it's almost always a usable sound yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. You well, get I guess, out of that I guess thing. that's it. Yeah, or you've got the guys that swear by their own rig. You know, they they know exactly what they get out of it and why, and they want that. You know, they want that sound within the context of of whatever it is that you're doing, and that too is great. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I was just flabbergasted by the the, the breadth of sound. D- Dave, I mean, you don't play guitar, I, th- I don't think, but it was it was pretty wide a, a wide disparity of sound, was it not? I'm with you. I'm co- I was totally blown away, totally blown away. In fact, I went through it twice, kind of going, "Hmm, this is really now. <laughs> this is super confusing. Which do I prefer?" And in fact, I did come out with a favourite. I like the Jensen P12. There you go. Ah, oh, well done. <laughs> I couldn't tell after a while because the memory, because the riff was the same, which was, so it was actually really hard to tell what was what. And it was like, okay, now, but does that one sound better because of the comparison of the previous one or does it sound better because it's, it is better? I actually jumped back and forwards through the video at a certain point just to, like, try and unconfuse my brain. And it was <laughs> like, I just, I just quite like, you know, the combination, the fact that the mids weren't seem to be a little bit more prominent on the Jensen's without the highs being too high and the lows being too... I just thought, for me, it was more pleasing. Interesting, though. Really interesting. And there was me thinking that only synthesizers were different. So I hear they're going to do another one with uh, just drum skins as well. Do you like to hear that? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, hey, guys, if, different kinds of drumstick. If you want to pull this off in the, in the digital domain, in the, in the plug-in world, uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the plugins that will do something similar to this, um, I know all of the guitar modelers will, but I think, uh, to my ears, the, the, one of the coolest things is Audio Ease's uh, cabinet. And it's a very cheap impulse response cabinet plug-in and all it does is switch out speakers so you can you can just uh take any any signal and plop that thing over it and it's like running that signal through through a different speaker and to my ears it sounds the most like a speaker you know unlike unlike amplitude or guitar rig or or the waves guys stuff that stuff to me doesn't sound it's it's usually at at the speaker that it doesn't sound quite right it, to me, it doesn't sound like there's right, something okay. pushing against the speaker cone and air moving in the room, that kind of thing. But the audio know, but, eased, but it works. Sounds more like it. Is that, than, is that done than, with um, uh, impulse responses again? It is, yeah. So they've taken yeah. a room, presumably, and just swapped out the speakers. So you get the sound of a nice room, whatever that might be. Huh. I guess so, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Zen Artist 2 in the chat room says, hey, how about a guitar pick shootout? And it's funny you should say that, but we have actually already done one of those. Um, I think um, Rob Chapman, Chappazar, uh, who was a reviewer for us for a while, we are very fortunate to have him. Uh, I think his first thing that he shot for us was uh, a comparison of guitar picks. And it was actually, there were differences in sound, but um, probably too little for my ears i think it's more also to do with because of the way that you make that makes them play so yes although it is kind of a joke it's sort of yeah <laughs> anyway mm-hmm. just thought i'd mention that if you go and search the site somewhere i think we've got it um, online at some place somewhere or other i know we've got a couple more topics to go but um due to uh, a bit of illness in my family i've got to go home and relieve from her sick bed but of course Next week is the 200th podcast, and of hey. course, you're all welcome. I don't know who's coming, actually coming physically. Uh, Dave, are you coming down? Yep. Dave's coming down. Gaz, are you coming over? Yep. Excellent. So we'll do, need two mics for you. Um, and uh, Rich, I, I hope you're going to be here. I mean, I'd love to fly you over, but I suspect you're probably A, too busy, and we're B, too cheap to be able to uh, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but... Um, um, if you happen to be passing, you. you're more than welcome. 
I very much hope to be there. Oh, well, I do. You know, I do to be to. here on online, at least. Yeah. Yes. And uh, also with uh, PJ, of course, you're welcome. It's going to be slightly different next week. I'm not quite sure how it's going to work out because it's uh, basically we're going to uh, Studio Paranormal, which is Sean's uh, studio, which is who's reported for us in the past. We're going to set up there with this kind of multi-camera rig with all of this business. Tara is going to come along and play maybe four songs. And we're just going to, I have no agenda other than that. So I think um, any any ideas on how we should format it, I'd be more than more than happy to take. But the idea will be the same. It'll be like this, but somewhere else and with a band. And there will be a reason for having all those cameras finally. <laughs> that's the whole point. So basically, um, that's going to be 4 p.m. UK time. Obviously, I'll let the, uh, the people who are coming physically to the studio to uh, know where it is um, so, it's, so they can find it. Hmm. But Tara just texted me that, Oh, Tara yeah. just texted me then. <laughs> oh, how bizarre. Uh, yeah, apologising she missed a gig last night. So. Oh, well, never mind. Um, um, but yeah, so we're, we're just tracking down a few bits and pieces that Tara needs. I think Maff's going to be playing uh, fuzz bass, so we'll be participating musically. So there's going to be, I think there's going to be six of us on the ground um, participating, plus her, I think Dave Robinson's going to come along, and uh, obviously any of you guys. So we could have a full house but I don't know exactly how it's going to work yet, but it's going to be fun. So, And then afterwards, um, all the local, we're all going out for the Sonic State Christmas party. So I shall be relieved and probably far too drunk by the end of the night. But I feel I will have deserved it, as everybody else is. So we'll have a drink for all of, all of you guys who aren't going to be able to make it, um, actually physically with us. But uh, that'll be next week, sonicstate.com forward slash live UK time 4 p.m. That's the 200th podcast featuring Miss Tara Bush. So anyway, thank you very much to uh, all my guests here. And also thanks to the show sponsor, Yamaha. Don't forget Yamaha Download and check out the HM monitors, active monitors. And uh, first of all, I'll, I'll start over the other side of the world. And we'll say um, to Rich, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, been a pleasure to have you. And I hope uh, your working day pans out beautifully for you. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be had. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius uh, for all of your Hiltonius requirements. And uh, also while we're there, we'll say thank you very much to PJ Tracy, uh, pjtracymusic.com. Um, if you want to go see what PJ's up to, thank you, PJ. Really appreciate you joining us this week too. Oh, thanks again for having me, Nick. And here's to 199 more. Yeah, I might take a break, actually. I feel like, <laughs> but yes, that represents nearly four years. It's amazing, isn't it? Doesn't feel anything like that to me, but uh, thank uh, yeah. Well, thanks for your participation, of course, and also uh, back over here. We'll say thank you to Gaz Williams, uh, Bristol-based music producer and recordist, Rocket Gold Star, his band. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Gaz, and we'll see you in person next week. Yeah, look forward to it. And also, thank you very much to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you also to you, Dave. Thank you. Okay, that was Sonic Talk number 199. Remember, stay tuned for number 200. See you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.